Welcome to this modern education podcast that explores learning from the everyday exchange of thoughts and ideas to the theories and practices behind entire systems. Think education is cool? So do we. So we pair two conversations, learn about our guests, then learn from our guests, share your takeaways, and come back for more. You're listening to Think, Pair, Share with me, Audrey Scott. Get ready, because I feel like today's Think, Pair, Share is going to be a little like the audio equivalent of a choose-your-own-adventure book. That's due to my guest's indomitable spirit and genuine enthusiasm for all things English and language arts. Actually, for all things, period. Dr. Michael Macaluso is a faculty member of the Alliance for Catholic Education and a fellow of the Institute for Educational Initiatives. His primary research focuses on critical approaches in English education, and he hopes to inspire lifelong readership both in and out of the classroom. Mike believes literacy has implications for the ways in which we know, see, and understand the world, and therefore live, act, and interact in the world. I'm looking forward to learning more. So without further ado, hi, Mike. Hello. Hello. Am I good? (laughs) There he is. I just want to be sure that, uh, you know, Steve came in and set things up, and I'm just wondering, are we good? You got me? Yes, you're good. This picks Um, up everything, like even the move of my file folder, I hear Yeah, these mics are pretty good these days. That's why I'll give you a couple of those tips. If you can try not to hit the table because the mic is sitting on it, it it will pick it up. But please tell the Italian not to use his hand. You were not going to get through this. Okay. No, please be be comfortable. Be yourself. Okay, I will. I will. Don't worry about the little sounds. Uh, Everyone will understand. Okay. (laughs) Lots of uh, good stuff on tap. So we'll probably jump right into that fun section. Oh, Uh, I'm so excited about the fun section. I'm a little jealous that Professor Gibbs got the Halloween section, but I'll I'll deal. I'm excited to see what you have on tap for me here. I kind of like the theme idea, but because I know a little bit about your fun personality, we went sort of eclectic instead. Yes, I love eclectic. Oh my goodness, this is great. Such a fidgeter. Oh, that's okay. Ready? Heads or tails? Heads. Beard or mustache? Oh, beard. Lions, tigers, or bears? Oh my, uh, let's go, <laughs> let's go tigers. Nice. Tiny house or RV? Uh, tiny house. I Zom- can't handle an RV. I, I don't think I could do that. I really don't, <laughs> nor could my wife, so. <laughs> I'm right there with you. But I do like the look of an Airstream. Oh. On like a Christmas tree lot, maybe? Yes, that looks so nice. It does. It's like picturesque. But <laughs> living scared. in it, I can't imagine is picturesque, so. Uh, this might not be for us either, but how about zombie outbreak or alien invasion? Oh, this is so fun. I mean, we could just talk about this. This is rapid fire, Audrey, but I feel like we could talk about this. We'll go off on this tangent. Um, I would probably say zombie invasion, just because I feel like you have the potential to like fight back and like think of ways to fight back. Whereas if aliens come, they're just going to like beam you up and you have no, no plan of attack. But one of my favorite movies growing up was Independence Day. So I love that man. That, the movie, that movie in Jurassic Park were like game changers. But uh, I'll I'll go zombie. Zom, what is it? Zombie apocalypse. Zombie invasion. Apocalypse. Whatever. <laughs> so I had to laugh. Actually, I was like, you actually did mesh the two because I said zombie outbreak or alien invasion, and you said zombie invasion. invasion. Like uh, best of there both worlds. <laughs> okay, misquoted movies or mistaken lyrics. Oh man, I feel like I sort of treat movies as like 
somewhat kind of sacred so you can't misquote so i'll go the 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 lyric what is it the misspoken lyric i really like the that taylor swift song i don't even know what it is but she would, she said uh like the actual lyric is like star-crossed lovers and for the longest time i thought it was starbucks lovers and i actually think starbucks <laughs> do you know what i'm talking about i totally thought it was i still to this very moment thought it was starbucks but i like starbucks lovers better because i feel like that works so well with what her song is trying to say there and i think starbucks I, maybe i'll write to her and just say you should officially change it because that just fits so much better on a much more like poetic level of what your song is trying to say okay fiction or nonfiction? fiction hands down although am i supposed to be commenting on these because you i'm can. just going okay <laughs> sure it's your show mike you do whatever okay. you want <laughs> So I have to give a quick little plug. I've been on somewhat of a nonfiction kind of kick lately because there is this great author. She was um, recently nominated, like a shortlisted for a Newbery. She wrote the, the Rise and Fall of Charles Lindbergh. I knew very little about him, but she's, she's a local author and she's done a ton of stuff. She's also written on the, the Romanov family. And the Charles Lindbergh book was so good. I mean, just like fascinating. And I would totally use that book in like an American lit class or history class. I mean, talk about like history repeating itself. This, I recommend this book to everybody. And now I'm reading with my boys. Uh, she just wrote one on the curse of the curse of the mummy, curse of the mummy's tomb. It's with King Tut. Again, fascinating. She starts each chapter by saying, they say that there was a curse with the mummy's tomb and then talks about examples of like how this curse has happened and then she'll go into like the history and the backstory of how they found the tomb so she is just doing a wonderful job of like making history sound like a story and a narrative and I just highly recommend especially the Charles Lindbergh book but now this mummy one just came out is it Candace Fleming that's Candace Fleming yes Candace Fleming way to go oh my goodness they're so it's just so good so a little caveat there fiction however uh she's she's doing some wonderful work with nonfiction. highly recommend those those books Excellent. Okay. DC or Marvel? Oh, oh man, this is hard now. I see. I thought I had an answer, but now I'm, now I'm stuck. So I loved Batman growing up, which was DC and that like crazy show. Like as a kid, I have such memories coming home from kindergarten and having like my lunch in front of the TV to see which villain was on the Batman show that day. Yeah. And I just, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> All the goofy, like, yes, boom. it's boom, pow, right? <laughs> yeah, pow. Um, but then as I, as I got a little older and my superhero tastes matured, I think, uh, I've definitely become a Marvel fan. And when I started collecting comic books, cause I did that, it was always the Marvel books. So like X-Men, Spider-Man, um, those were just kind of, I think such a key to my childhood. And I don't know if you know this, but like, I'm the very first one to say that I think it's comic books that sort of saved my reading life. I was not an avid reader. I didn't like reading in school. I wasn't a huge fan of the books that we we had in school. And I, I didn't like the way that like you had to read and then you're just automatically quizzed on what you what you had read from a book. It was like a reading comprehension quiz. And it was reading comic books on the side that just sort of kept me reading. So wow. that's, a, that's great. I definitely want to come back to that thought because okay. um, I have an art background and I think that there's a lot to be said about some oh of this um, graphic novels and all kinds of stuff too that bring other people into yeah. the, the reading and comprehension universe too. So we'll look forward to following up on that in a few Great. minutes. What is your spirit animal? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I feel like it's got to be some type of like bird of prey. I feel like some sort of connection with birds of mm. birds of prey. So maybe like an eagle or a vulture or something like that. Maybe not a vulture. That's kind of gross, but like some, <laughs> some kind of, 
some sort of majestic, maybe a hawk, like a hawk might be good, oh, yeah. like something like, like that. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a buzzard. But I feel like if, you know, this, the, we could think about this in terms of like a Patronus and Harry Potter, you know, yes. of like, what would my Patronus be? And I definitely feel like some sort of like hawk or eagle or a missing, like a falcon, something like mm, one of those yeah. types of birds, I feel like. Those are very good. I don't know what that <laughs> means or what that says about me, but that's just kind of what I feel a connection to. I know. I think we're going to have to go to BuzzFeed to figure that out. Figure that out. <laughs> what your spirit animal says about you. <laughs> what do you think about uh, raven? ravens? ravens. So maybe that's my, there you go. Maybe yeah. like a raven would be my spirit animal. I feel like that fits with sort of like the, the dark brooding mysterious that I, but I feel like I'm not any of those things, but I like want, like try to be or something or I want to be. So maybe the raven fits. You were the Nerdame Leprechaun. How did you feel when you first put on the suit? Very first time. Oh, that's a good question. And I really appreciate that you call it the suit and not the costume because we're particular about that, that it's oh. not a costume, it is a suit. So thank okay. you very much for recognizing that it's a suit. You sort of step out of yourself in that moment and you just kind of recognize that this is something that's that's larger than you. There's this great scene in the West Wing. I don't remember when it happens, but like President Bartlett, I think it's like his his parish priest comes to visit him from home and like knows him so well and calls him Jeb. And he's like, well, is it okay if I call you that? And he's like, you know, if you don't mind, call me President Bartlett when we're in the Oval Office. It's not about me. It's just about the office. And it reminds me of the office. And while the Leprechaun is nowhere near the president of the United States, right? <laughs> it was just one of those things of like, okay, this is something that's bigger than me and beyond me. And I think that was just affirmed over and over at sporting events or visiting, uh, you know, communities and going out and doing service visits. like. Just people that would come up to you because of a Notre Dame connection, not because of a you connection, and just because of their love, their admiration, their joy for Notre Dame and wanting to share that. So just that larger than life feeling, I think. It was not something that I was prepared for when I became a leprechaun, but something that I just sort of very much grew to love as, as a regular part of the job. There was this one time when I was in the bookstore and I was just like dressed in normal, my normal clothes. And there was this old man who was just kind of watching me and it was sort of aware that he was watching me. And finally, he just came up to me and like, no joke, Audrey, he had tears in his eyes and he just said, thank you. And I'm just like, what are you like, what are you thanking me for? And he just like looks at me and tilts his head and he just goes, thank you so much, shakes my hand and walks away. Aww. And I was just like, what was that? You know, like. It's just larger than life, right? He just feels some connection and there's some story there. And he didn't obviously want to share the story in that moment, but enough to just say thank you and, and move on. So I just oh always gosh. think about that. I know that man and, and just like, that's just a great sort of, you know, small example of regular occurrences kind of like that. That speaks to your personality too and your warmth and you're just that it exudes that and welcomes people to you so they made a great choice when they chose you well thanks Audrey that's really nice of you thank you so much welcome okay you care deeply about literacy which we're going to get into a little bit more but speaking hypothetically about books what would the title of your memoir be oh man that's so hard I have no idea <laughs> It is a hard one. Uh, you know, you want to sort of recognize like all aspects of yourself and like the ups and the downs and, you know, maybe something like what's next. I feel like that's kind of been, I don't know, something maybe I subscribe to, like whether I fail at something or whether I do well at something, it's just sort of thinking about, so, you know, so what comes next that just sort of came to me. I don't know if that's profound or if that's lame, yeah. but like, what is the next thing? And not to say that I'm like moving on from one thing to the next, but just sort of like what's the next opportunity or what's the next challenge or what's the next thing to do, right? So what's next? Yeah, I like that a lot. Oh, like thanks. Lot. You're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's not to say you're not reflective, but we're moving forward. Have you thought about your title? <laughs> oh, gosh. No, no, no. We're not turning any <laughs> tables <right>. here. <laughs> I am not on the hot seat. 
Can you take a minute to orient the audience to your connection to Notre Dame and to ACE and help us understand what you're working towards right now? Yeah, so I actually went to Notre Dame as an undergrad. Um, I followed in the footsteps of my two older brothers. I was in English and political science, uh, double major in undergrad. And from a young age, I knew I wanted to teach and I wanted to be a teacher. I flirted with a lot of things here and there, but I just kept coming back to teaching. And so when I came to Notre Dame, I knew about the ACE program already. One of my brothers was a senior at the time. And over the summer, a pamphlet about ACE came to the house and I kept it even though I was, you know, not even a freshman yet. And I actually brought that pamphlet to my interview, to my ACE interview when I was a, when I was a senior, um, just as evidence of, I mean, I just really, I knew that ACE was something that I felt called to do. And so, you know, with that, I was fortunate to do ACE. I got to teach high school English in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I just like fell in love with teaching. I fell in love with Baton Rouge and I just, you know, sort of never looked back from there. And it was also one of my goals once I left my high school to return to my high school and to teach English there. So after ACE, I was able to do that. When I taught there for five years, I got to teach English and history and, you know, it just, just loved it. It was great. So I knew I always wanted to teach and that was an aspiration I had. But then when I was an ACE, you know, two things happened. I mean, number one, I met Katie Duffy, you know, who would eventually become Katie Macaluso. And Yay. then, you know, ACE just sort of introduced me to just the world of education. And I just wasn't, you know, I, I just loved my undergrad experiences so much in English and poli-sci. And I think it was really an ACE where I just thought for a minute of like, well, you know, maybe there is something else for me. And so ACE really planted the nugget of like grad school and maybe pursuing education beyond being a classroom teacher. But I absolutely loved teaching at Bennett. I mean, I just, I loved it there so much. I kind of joke with Katie that, you know, if we weren't dating and if she hadn't said, you know, that she'd marry me, that I'd be, you know, chaperoning prom still at Bennett Academy, which, you know, I'm, I say that because I just loved it there. I mean, I, I really loved yeah. it, but but we had, when we started dating, I think one of the things that sort of brought us together was we we both had this sort of mutual goal or desire to pursue grad school. And so we just kind of held ourselves to that then. And when our first child came along, it was kind of like, okay, if we're really serious about grad school, we need to look into this. So it was really hard for me to say goodbye to Bennett, but we went to grad school at Michigan State together. Notre Dame wasn't necessarily like on our, on our radar coming back here when we were then on the job market. But I think at the end of the day, like it just made so much sense. And we loved Michigan State. They have a phenomenal college of ed. But we just kept coming back to this idea of we missed sort of the, the anchoring and the centering of Catholic education. We felt like that's really what drove us as educators. And so, you know, when Ace called, it was kind of like, yeah, this is kind of a no brainer then. So we're back here. I, I love what I'm currently doing, working with Ace teachers. I work primarily with our middle school and high school English teachers, along with Katie. I get to supervise some communities. I currently supervise uh, our Plaquemine sites and our New Orleans sites. So it's fun. I get to go back to Louisiana, which, as I said before, I just fell in love with Louisiana. So now I get to visit there. Very involved in our undergraduate program, the Education, Schooling, and Society program. And then I also do some work through our Center for Literacy Education. So, you know, those three worlds, I just feel like are, are worlds that I'm very comfortable in and just I love so much. And I just I, I'm, I'm very grateful to be to have a foot in each of those worlds. I feel yeah, like that sort of makes up really who I am as a whole person. Can you outline the framework? The Center for Literacy Education, ESS, ELA. Can you sort of tell me what those things stand for, how you're a part of those? Yeah, so um, so Center for Literacy Education is one of our centers here through the Institute for Educational Initiatives. And, you know, there's a number of things that, that the center does in terms of, um, you know, pushing out policy and research and working with local teachers, um, 
you know, any, any sort of initiative that is ELA or English language arts related or literacy education related. And then um, education, schooling, and society. So that's our undergraduate program here at Notre Dame. So some people don't know that we have an education program here. It's not, um, it's not a certification program, a certification for teaching, but it's sort of like a sociological perspective of education. So just a range of classes, fascinating classes. You know, one of the things that's so nice about it is it's housed in the Institute for Educational Initiatives. But as a result, we have faculty from all over campus teaching classes through this through the ESS program. You can have it as both a minor or a supplementary major. We actually just became a major because our classes have been so popular and students are taking more than what is needed for the minor. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we did this. So now students have the opportunity to take it as a supplemental major. Um, but it's just it, it's I feel like that program is just so life giving because it allows students the luxury to talk about education through a number of angles, through including like the interdisciplinary perspective that students are coming from. So this semester in my class, I've got students in the College of Business, the College of Science. I've got a range of arts and letters majors. Some of them want to be teachers. Some of them just care about education. Some of them are hoping to like do education work in some way in the future. So they just want to learn more. And so it just becomes this like vibrant community of people who care about education in some way and want to talk about it in, in, in different ways and through different lenses. So it's just this, we're the most popular minor on campus. It's Yay. just become this really wonderful, vibrant community of professors and students that are talking about education in meaningful ways. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I'm so glad that, that it's sort of gotten that promotion um, to supplemental yeah, um, so that's wonderful. So congratulations. Um, well, what's directing you to be so interested in that literacy angle? Mm -hmm. um, you have so many important things that you're a part of because of it. Can you talk a little bit about that passion? Yeah, you know, I think it, I think what just sort of drove me was I, I just, I developed later on this kind of love of, of reading and of literature. Um, and when I say later on, I really feel like it was maybe later in high school. And then it's developed since then of just kind of this this love of reading or this appreciation for, for literature, the feelings that I have when I share that or when I talk to people about it, I think that's just always what has motivated me and what has driven me. That literacy element was always, you know, it, it was my supervisor in ACE when I was talking to her about grad school and thinking about moving forward. She got to know me pretty well and I got to know her and I really valued her as a, as a mentor in addition to her being my, my supervisor. But she said, I think it's more than just the literature that motivates you and seeing you in the classroom. It's really about the teaching of this. And it's really about the teaching around this. That, that is what brings you joy and, you know, what brings you love and just what's, you know, it's so apparent in the classroom. So, I mean, that really helped me to see that it, it wasn't necessarily just about the literature, but just kind of like the animation of it in the classroom and, and helping students to see maybe the things that I appreciated or what could be appreciated and really just to get like students to enjoy reading remember like my first year a parent came up to me and she just said I don't know what you're doing but my daughter loves reading this year so please just keep doing it and I don't know what I was doing either I mean I just think that like <laughs> I really don't I just think you know I just think that it's something that I love and something that brings me joy so to be able to share that with others is just something that motivates me and I think that's something that comes across to the students that I teach now, whether it's my undergrads or whether it's the ACE teachers, I think sort of my, my zeal or my, my love or my passion, um, both for teaching and for what I'm teaching uh, is apparent. And it's not like a put on, it's just that I, I love talking about English. I love talking about books and I love talking about like, how do we teach 
students about about these things and what sort of animates our discipline. So that really kind of is what drives me, I think, in the in the day to day and in the work that I do. It's really obvious that you do just really enjoy it. And I think that genuine and authentic joy is contagious isn't the right word, but I think people want to know more about that and they want to maybe be a, have that be a part of their lives. Um, that comes from you and your presentation of it. Is there an element to the importance of story that is sort of underlying those things, something to connect to? Um, everyone has a story. Yeah, that's tell. a great, that's a great question. I don't know that I've thought about it that way before, but I think I do think like you're onto something there. Like, I think when you ask the question about fiction or nonfiction, like I, I gravitate towards fiction, but I think one thing that I appreciate about fiction is being able to learn about others who have had experiences different from my own. Right. And that's one of the classes that I teach here is multicultural lit class. And that's just sort of the whole framework of that class is like, we're going to read as many books as possible from as many different perspectives. And they're all fiction books. Now, they are written from the perspective of the author. So, you know, presumably the authors had experiences like that. But the idea is just that, like, fiction can allow us this sort of imaginative, uh, this imaginative window into what life is like for other people and how other people, how other people experience events similarly or differently from our own. So to that point, right, everyone has, I think everyone does have a story. And I think story ultimately is what, what's the right way to say this? Like, stories ultimately... Right, do push us forward and do sort of make us think differently or make us want to experience something maybe that we haven't experienced before. I think there's also like, you know, that, I, that just age old idea of art imitating life, life imitating art that I think you see in books just sort of I've always been sort of driven to or driven by and fascinated by the just some of the like the moral and ethical questions that a book could pose and sort of thinking through that with a group of students, maybe who are just that like a nascent understanding of some of these, these big issues. So I remember like some of the books that I loved teaching when I was teaching high school, um, you know, like Lord of the Flies, you know, it's a dark book, but there's just so many good questions that arise from that. And I think, you know, helping or genuinely talking with younger people, younger students about how would you answer this question? Or how are you thinking about this? Right. To me, I just think that's what's so enriching about those experiences. And like, when else are you going to be in a situation where you have 20, 30, some people together talking around one text, right. And enjoying that as an opportunity to just like think and to just sort of imagine, you know, what does, what does this pose? There's this, can I keep going? There's this wonderful yes, book right now. <laughs> Uh, the author is Neil Schusterman and he's written this, um, it's called Scythe and it's this, it's a whole series. I recommend this book series to everyone. It's so phenomenal and it's a YA book. So it's written for younger, you know, okay. it's written for teens, but the moral and ethical questions that that book poses, it's just, it's really, it, it really just makes you pause and think and reflect to be able to talk through this with young people. Um, it, even though it's fiction, has real life consequences and has real life ramifications for how they think about other people, how they interact with other people, how they live their own lives. Um, I just think that fiction very much has real life effects. And to write a book like that, that is fiction, that is imaginative, but can have real life effects. I mean, like that's, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, that's very interesting. Actually, I know that some of the work that you are currently contributing to, I guess, is um, maybe a, a more diverse reading list. 
Can you talk to us a little bit about that, why that's been important to you and, and what sort of some of the focus and future of that work is? This all came about because in grad school, there was a class, an undergrad class that was, um, I don't remember the exact title. It's pro- I think it might be very similar to what I call it now, but like something along the lines of like issues of diversity in multicultural literature, something like that. And it was a young adult lit class that had all multicultural literature. And as one of my assistantships, they, they asked me to teach it. It wasn't really an ask. It was just like, here's what you're doing. And it was basically like, well, you've taught, you've taught before and you've taught English. So this is, this is what you're going to do. And like, I, I had not, as someone who had taught high school English, like I taught what, what every high school English classroom teaches. So I just was, it was a whole slew of books that was unfamiliar to me. And it was just sort of, I mean, I don't want to say life-changing because I think that might sound like, like trite or overused, but I mean, it just really changed the way that I think about reading, changed the way that I think about books and changed the way that I think about what matters in terms of what we put in our young people's hands. So to go back to what we were saying before, just kind of, you know, allowed me to experience life through other people's perspectives. I mean, that's the whole point of the class is this idea of perspective taking. What does this book allow us to, to think about or to, to understand in light of someone else's experience that may or may not be similar to our own? So that's really what kind of then motivated this. I don't know what to say, if it's like a love of mine or like a hobby or just, I've just really come to appreciate um, young adult books and especially you know, young adult books that are just from you know, a plethora of, of diverse authors with diverse experiences. And that's really where that came from. And then in grad school, having the opportunity to think about that. And I was so happy to bring that class here to Notre Dame when I came over. And it was something that ESS had kind of wanted to offer for a while. So I was, I was just so happy to, to have that in our slate of classes here. But we really just read a lot of contemporary books. Um, when I say that, I mean, like within the past five years or so, and we just come to every, every book talk, every kind of conversation of just like, you know, what is this book doing to uh, maybe challenge stereotypes or to unlearn things that we've learned, you know, just sort of in, in growing up or as part of like our, our experiences in the world. And so it's really a fun time because there's just been this kind of explosion, this renaissance of, of young adult and middle grade books that are, that are just being written right now by again, a range of diverse authors. And so it's just an exciting time to just pick up a book right now and, and read about someone else's experience. And that again, like huge ramifications and implications for what we think about in, in classrooms and in schools today. That's really kind of what's lit my fire. And I, it's kind of insatiable. Like I'm, I'm always looking for a book and probably to like my own detriment because it, I keep I keep like getting books from the library or putting books on my Goodreads that I like, I just don't have, to, I, I don't even have time to read right now. Or like, I'll, I'll check out three books at once from the library. And I'm just like, this is impossible. I, like, there's no way that I'm going to get to this. So, but I, I'm teaching that class next semester. And, you know, like I said, I, it's, it's almost like a new slate of books every semester because I try to update it and I really try to keep it current. But the, the concepts, the skills, they're all there in terms of just like, what does this mean for our schools? And, our, and most importantly, like our kids today, like, you know, is it, what, what potential or possibility does this have for a kid to be reading a book that maybe has a similar experience of their own or what potential does it have for a kid to read that is so unlike their own and helps them to understand how other people experience the world. I like that a lot. And actually you started sharing a little bit earlier that you were not maybe a, the greatest reader, or maybe you didn't enjoy reading as a, as a young child yourself, but can you talk a little bit about how that changed for you and then what you hope to spark in the people that you teach 
at the end of the day, like what I care about for my own students, what I care about for, you know, the students that our ACE teachers will teach, especially our English ones, right? You know, like the end of the day, like we just want, we just want kids to read, right? We just want, we just want lifelong readers. And so what are we doing to really inspire lifelong readership? And, you know, for me, that just wasn't, that, that wasn't the case for me growing up in school. Um, and I, like part of it, I think, I think the main part of it was just like reading was treated as, you know, a means to an end for a comprehension check. And for someone who wasn't a great reader and didn't like it to begin with, like that was just really taxing and, and not motivating. And I just didn't, I, you know, I didn't know to the extent about, you know, good things that were out there. So it was sort of like, you know, I had this reading life outside of school that really was supported by, you know, my mom, especially, but, you know, my parents of just kind of, you know, things that I think people knew would be interesting to me that were passing me books. But I mean, it really started with those comic books. And I don't know what it was that I had this attachment, but I just remember, remember like my first X-Men comic book. I was like, this is so cool. Like, where was this? And then, you know, kind of weird by the time I, I got to high school and I took this class that was Brit British literature that everybody had to take, you know, so much of comics is informed by like our rich literary tradition. And so I, in the things that we were reading in this British literature class, were things that I knew from comic books and kind of like illusions or, um, or just like, I don't know, just sort of, I, I saw very much this crossover between sort of my, my extra reading life and my in-school reading life. And that's where I think it just kind of fermented this, you know, Mike's going to be an English teacher because I finally saw this crossover and this parallel, but that was like, you know, disrupted for me by the time I got to grad school and I got this, you know, I had to experience this other whole set of books in terms of, genre and perspectives with um, young adult and multicultural lit. Um, and so, you know, now I'm on this track of, I don't know, maybe this nonfiction track will pick up. I don't know, but there's, there's kind of been this, this, this weird, um, uh, I don't know, this, this kind of, what's the word I'm, I'm picturing like the, like a DNA strand of where like things are, things cross over sometimes just kind of going in different directions. And so I think that just speaks to, again, this overall idea of like the power of reading and the way in which our reading can take off in some cases and just sort of the, the role that reading can play in our lives in the real world and just how it makes us think or believe or act differently. So I think about it as just kind of this, this larger story of, of how, how reading has, has shaped sort of the next, like the next steps for me, which maybe connects to like my memoir, right? Of just like, <laughs> it really is like these, these different you know, sort of eras of reading that have have spurred on the next step of my my life or my career or whatnot. I like it. See, it's all coming together. Right? I can't even thought really it is. Some subconscious was like next steps, get, and then you, here we go. When you get home tonight, chapter one. There you go. <laughs> um, the double helix for some reason. That's I'm, what it is. Yeah, the double helix. Yeah. yeah. I have to maybe follow up on one thing you said. You just want people to read, but but. Do you really just want people to read or you want people to broaden their minds, be able to see points of view of other people? Is there really sort of an underlying deeper hope for you? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think you just hit on like two of them there because it's kind of like subversive for me, right? Because I know with reading is going to come other things. And so if, if they're willing to pick up a book, then with that book may come, even if it's just like, you know, from a, from like an English language arts standards perspective, like you know, vocabulary development or, right, thinking like seeing a sentence written in a way that they hadn't seen before. Like sometimes if it, even if it's something as, as minuscule as that, right, mm -hmm. just kind of what, what reading is going to do to 
right? Push you further to help you think differently. And then, you know, I just keep coming back to this idea that I do think even fiction books, like I think these, I think books just have real ramifications in the world um, in terms of how people think, behave, act, believe. And so that's really what it comes down to for me. I have a picture in my office that uh, there's no such thing as a kid who hates reading. There's only kids who haven't found the right book yet. And so I really do believe that, nice. that, you know, it does come down to, right, just sort of helping not just kids, but anyone just sort of think, like, find, find the books, the books that are pushing them or the books that are, that are, you know, tapping into their interests and helping them to think differently or encourage them or motivate them or inspire them. Every time I read a, a Pat Conroy book, you know, I'm just like, so he just writes so beautifully that I'm just like inspired to write after that, even though I like, I have no ambitions to write or whatever. I just need to sit down and I need to write something because so anyway, so even just something like that, like this, this is what books do. They have real ramifications. I'm seeing a real future for this memoir. And as Betsy's, we are all readers, all readers and writers. And writers. Yep. Yes. Oh, really good. good. So poetic there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I appreciate all those thoughts. I do want to talk about another exciting element that's sort of tied to all of this is a new award that you guys have created for um, new books. Actually, so I'm going to let you tell us about it. It's called the Alexandria Award. Will you please tell us sort of the genesis of this and, and what you're trying to do with it? Yeah, I'm so excited about this project. And I feel like people are getting annoyed with me because I just keep talking. About, <laughs> I just want to tell everybody about it because I just oh. am so excited about it. So this award came from, you know, a couple of things. So number one, um, you know, there's a lot of good research out there that says that teachers need books in their classrooms, right? Not just any books, but like contemporary books, highly engaging books. Um, you know, there's a big push right now for thinking about social justice in the classroom, um, having diverse authors in the classroom, because like we just haven't seen that in, in English classrooms to a, to a large extent before. Right. Um, what's being taught has traditionally what's always been taught. And then with that, you know, we also know that that Catholic school teachers, especially English teachers, will use books to animate the faith as well and to talk about our faith. As we all know, teachers lead very busy lives and they just don't have time sometimes to vet books or to find the new books or to find the right book. And so, you know, as I was reading some of these really good books, I was just like, man, like this book should be in a classroom. Like there's no doubt in my mind. Like I read the book Front Desk, which is about this girl in fifth grade who immigrates to um, America into California from China with her parents. And like, it's just a phenomenal book. And I'm just like, why are we not like, like fifth graders should be reading this book. There's no doubt in my mind that it talks about, you know, big, big issues like racism and immigration in such simple terms that I'm just like, this is like, even, even for me as an older person, like, you know, it's just helping me to like relearn things that I never knew before or to unlearn things that I didn't know before. So that was kind of the impetus then behind us. I'm like, what could we do? And I'm like, what if we establish an award that would do this work for our teachers? We would vet these books, we would pick a book. And then, you know, importantly, like two important aspects of this, we would, um, we'd create some sort of short curriculum guide that would help teachers think about this book in, in terms of everything we're talking about, right? Some, like some framing of Catholic social teaching, some big questions, how they might go about teaching it. And then secondly, like actually give them the book and get the book in their hands with the potential that they might take it up in their classroom, they might give it to a student. So that's, that's the award then I was like, that's what we need to do here is like we need to we need to just like gift books to teachers with a curriculum guide that that addresses social justice issues that can talk about our faith so it's not just literacy formation but faith formation. 
And then one day, you know, I was reading like the Daily Saint and I read about Catherine of Alexandria, who was martyred at the age of 18. So automatically, I'm like, we have a young person here. Right. Mm -hmm. And then she loved school. She was a great student. She was a great orator, apparently. And um, she was able to just with her oratory skills, like she converted a bunch of people um, in ancient Egypt. She lived during ancient Egypt and like was able to convert hundreds of people at a time to the faith. You know, even to the point where it got to, I think it was like the emperor's wife, like she managed to convert the emperor's wife. And at that point, like he had had enough and he's like, you've converted my wife. Now you got to go. And so she's killed then. But, you know, talk about a just like a a tenacious teen who stands up to injustice, recognizes what what is wrong and unfair and speaks out against it, knowing that this could have consequences for her own life. And like, for me, then that just clicked. I'm like, we're going to call it the, the Alexandria Award. It's going to be named in honor of her. But there's also this layer of Alexandria was the home of the great library. So it has this other added element to it. And I love that, like, you know, anyone could pick this up and thinking like, you know, I, I don't want them to like dismiss the book because it maybe has like a faith component to it. So by calling it the Alexandria Award, I just feel like we're checking a bunch of boxes here. So that's where it came to be. And when I presented this to, you know, the, the folks that be around here, it's funny, the reaction that I got was, uh, you know, you're thinking too small, or, you know, you got to go big with this. And so I mean, I just met with so much support over here, which I'm so grateful, grateful for, you know, John Stodd, Father Lou, Ernest Morell, I mean, they were just all like, we really need to take this to the to the next level, the book that's chosen will commemorate St. Catherine in some ways, and that we might see in the book, you know, iterations of of St. Catherine and sort of the the, the young adult or middle grade protagonist that is the awardee there. It's been in the works for a while now, and we're so close. December 1st, we're going to make the formal announcement of the winner, which I'm so excited about because it's, just been, it's been a long time. My point with this, though, is that like this will, like I'm confident that this will change classrooms. Like the fact that we are giving schools books, we're getting this into teachers' hands with a, a curriculum guide like this will change things like that, that will help teachers, I think, to really think about, is this a book I can feasibly bring into my classroom? It's got Notre Dame and the Alliance for Catholic Education behind it. Um, You know, if we give them those pieces, then maybe this will actually change sort of the literary landscapes of our classrooms. And I love the idea of your trying to make concrete change. I love the word tenacious. um, And I think maybe you have a little bit of that spirit in you. (laughs) Thanks. That's what I mean. People are probably annoyed by the tenacity sometimes. But, you know, Catherine, you know, she just didn't care. She was just like speaking up and she's like, no, this is wrong. And so I just think there's I think there's elements of that 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 we've lost today, too. Right. I just thinking like when we think about a current political climate, it's like someone sometimes just needs to stand up and just say, nope, this is wrong. Or like, guys, this is a no brainer like that, you know, like <laughs> Mike Mecluso, no brainer. I know, right? But I have, uh, I, we got the medal. This is the actual medal. It's so pretty. I know. Oh, isn't it, isn't it beautiful? It's... And I love how it, it's like so shiny. So it's got Catherine it. on there in the back. It says faith, courage, virtue, tenacity, and advancing gospel values through literature. But wait, are you ready? This is where, listen, I mean, it's a heavy, did you hear that? Oh my gosh, it's yes. A heavy, it's a heavy metal, so. <laughs> That's hilarious. First of all, for uh, the audience members who have heard little sounds the whole time, uh, Mike's Italian <laughs> hand gestures <laughs> may or may not be hitting the desk, et cetera, but that is a heavy metal. I could hear, I could feel that from here. <laughs> it is, right? So heavy metal with kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't exactly. see how it could lose. 
When you were thinking about doing something, why was an award something that was important? You know, when I say that um, teachers sometimes don't have the time to really vet books, I mean, one thing that I think one place where teachers look and, and value and trust is awards, right? So when we think about famous awards, like the Newberry Award, the Caldecott, that's a picture book one, but like, um, you know, there's the, the Prince Award is for young adult literature. So, you know, awards matter when it comes to English language arts, and there's a lot of faith and trust in awards. And there's been like sort of a proliferation of awards too lately that that um, focus in on specific angles or you know an award that is looking for some specific aspect of um, of an experience or a topic or whatever in in books and so to me that's why the award made sense here right because because this is something that like people will recognize as it's been talked about it's been vetted it has a value to it and again like coming from Notre Dame, coming from the Alliance for Catholic Education, the Center for Literacy Education, like it will not be overlooked in that way. And so, again, I just want to say like, you know, we're trying to do some of that work for our teachers to just make it easier for them to adopt it for their classroom. Wonderful. I think you're a hopeful person. I think you look forward with, with hope. Is that true? How do you feel right now? We're heading into Thanksgiving and the Christmas season. Thank you for, for saying you think I'm a hopeful person. That's really nice. I mean, I think as we all know, it's been hard lately, right? In sort of the, the world stage of everything going on. But ultimately, I think that's who we're called to be, right? And I think that's, that's um, who we are when we think about our faith. And um, I think that's just like the story of Christ, right? Of just sort of this ultimately, right, hopeful image of like, we, we do resurrect. I think it's all the more special that Thanksgiving and Christmas are on the horizon. I would like to think that I'd feel the same way even if Halloween were on the horizon. But, um, but I mean, that it's just a special time of, um, of being even more so thankful and grateful and hopeful and, you know, the anticipation that, that comes with the, with the holiday season. But yeah, I mean, I just think that's who we're asked to be and who we're called to be is, is just a hopeful people. And I think there is a lot to be hopeful. In. And I think even when I think about our young people and our students, like there's there's just so much to so much to look to in, in in today's youth that's inspiring and that's hopeful moving forward. Right. I think that like we're in good hands moving forward um, when we think about the, the the good folks that are out there. Love it, and uh, I love the idea of sort of we're all readers, we're all writers, we're open to the possibilities that a book offers for all of us. What does literacy mean to you? Growing up, it might have been like, oh, just reading. Or yeah, whatever. no, it's, but I, I think exactly. It's, I think it's larger than that. Can you help us understand? Yeah, so you know, the idea of literacy, I think, has come a long way, and in, in that originally it was just sort of like pencil to paper, um, alphabetic writing, reading. But I think to what we've sort of pointed to throughout this conversation or, or are pointing to throughout this conversation is that literacy is, is not just decoding words on a page, right? It's not just um, something that is fixed or neutral, but it is something that matters in terms of uh, how we interact in the world, how we know and understand the world, how we come and know to live in the world and what it means for us to be literate beings as opposed to just someone who can read words off of a page, right? All of that has implications. Literacy has implications for the ways in which we know and understand the world and therefore then live in the world and act in the world and be in the world. Thank you. I think that's a, a different way to consider it than maybe a lot of people think about literacy. Okay. 
and that's something I sort of like just take for granted now as like, that's just the way that I think about it. So I don't articulate that, but that might be a good way. I really appreciate that. And I think the idea of literacy will continue to evolve. And Mm -hmm. I think it's critical that people see themselves, as you say, as literate beings. And that doesn't just mean how fast you can read or um, your vocabulary. It, It means much more than that. Yeah. Values, beliefs. I mean, all that comes down to, right how we are instructed to to read, to write, to think, to be. Absolutely. And I think that that helps inform why some of these things are so important to you and others and all of us here working um, side by side, open minds, connectivity, tenacity, nice. um, all kinds of yeah. uh, good stuff. No brainer. No brainer. Um, <laughs> um, but thank you so much. But uh, Oh my goodness. Thank you. I really had such a fun time chatting with you. <laughs> No surprise there. Thank you so much for your energy, for all of your heart and passion. Oh my goodness. Your genuine, authentic self is just wonderful. So thank you so much for everything, Mike. Well, thank you, Audrey. I, I do want to say too, I, I do appreciate this series. It's really fun. You know, I work with these people on a day to day. So it's kind of fun when I'm doing stuff to have to have the series playing in the background and just kind of learning a little bit more about, about my colleagues and to see sort of what pushes them and how they think about things. So I, I love the series. Think per share. Oh, that's so kind of you. Thank you so much. What an enormous compliment that is. Oh my goodness. Well, love the work that you do and so appreciative for you, Audrey. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk (laughs) to you soon. You too. Can't wait. Can't wait to listen to this. Thanks, Mike. We'll see you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thank you all for joining us for Think, Pair, Share. If you enjoyed this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Check out our website at iei.nd.edu forward slash media for this and other goodies. Thanks for listening. And for now, off we go.